Uh, good evening. Welcome to Genesis Church. My name is Steve Wallen. I'm the campus pastor here at our Carmel campus, for those of you who don't know me. Uh, we're so glad you decided to join us for our first Christmas Eve service in six or seven years. I think there's a little bit of debate going on, but it's been a while. We haven't been uh, doing Christmas Eve for a while, and we decided this year was the year we were going to do it again and try it out, at, at, as Paul said, as one church in one location. So uh, we had a great... Um, crowd at 4.30, and so I appreciate the people who are here. We've got a great crowd at 6 o'clock. I know you guys will be just as responsive, just as celebratory as they were, so thank you for that. Our church has been in this series called A Light Has Dawned. Uh, you see that on the screen. If you're new here, what we usually do is we pick a topic or pick a subject, something we want to talk about, and we talk about it for four or five or six weeks till we get tired of it, and then we go on to something else. And so uh, what we've been talking about around Christmas is uh, this series, A Light Has Dawned, and it's based on this verse out of Isaiah 9. It says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And this is a prophecy. So it was before Jesus was born, and it's talking about that Jesus is coming. And what we've done over the last three weeks, if you've missed them, by the way, you can go to our website at genesischurch.me and check out their pod, our podcast. We have podcast links for both of our campuses there. And uh, what we talked about week one was how the light of Jesus, how Jesus coming to earth as a light that's dawning in the darkness can help us move from anxiety to hope. Anybody have anxiety around the holidays? You can be honest. You're among friends here. Yeah, a few of you. Good. Uh, three honest people in the room. Thank you for that. Then week two, we talked about sorrow and how sometimes there's sorrow around the holidays that even though, even when you have a happy occasion, that there can be sorrow around that and how the light of Jesus can move us from sorrow to joy. And then last Sunday, we talked about conflict and how that we can move from conflict to peace. I'm sorry, there's a Christmas carol playing up here. <laughs> Patricia is playing a little Christmas music for us. And so tonight, what we want to talk about is how uh, Jesus can help move us from darkness into light. Now, I have to tell you, when you haven't had a Christmas Eve service in six years, and you start one, uh, you can, I, I should say, I can start to feel the weight of that and the pressure of that, the pressure to tell a well-worn story in a new way. And, and I have to be honest, most of that pressure is internal. Like, am I good enough to do this? Am I, do I have what it takes to tell the story of Jesus? But not all of it is internal. Now, I'll give you one example. Last Sunday after service, a friend of mine uh, came up to me in the lobby, and he's a friend, so I took it the right way. But he said, uh, so, it's all you on Christmas Eve, huh? So, well, I, yeah, I'm the guy bringing the message on Christmas Eve. He goes, man, that's a lot of responsibility. Are you sure you're up for that? I was like... Well, up until just now, I thought I was. Uh, what do you mean by that? Well, there's going to be a lot of people there that don't go to church. They don't know Jesus. They need to hear the gospel. And you've got to be the guy to bring that. I wouldn't want to be in your shoes. Are you sure you're ready for that? Because that's a big responsibility. I wouldn't want that responsibility. I'm like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. And so I know, but I've been praying about it this week. And I know that with your help, you guys are a great crowd. Um, and with the help of some helpers that I've enlisted to tell this story, that we uh, can tell this in a way that is new and inventive, and we can celebrate the light of Jesus. And so I thought I'd recruit some help. I mean, who could be upset with kids and teens of our church helping out telling the Christmas story, right? And so here's what we want to do. When you hear, uh, it seems like everybody who knows anything about the Christmas story has heard verses like these. To us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called 
wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Great. Thank you, guys. Didn't they do a great job? And so you think about those verses along with what Isaac read earlier from Luke 2, you know, the traditional Christmas story from Luke 2, and you think, how on earth am I going to be able to put a new spin on this story? I mean, after all the Christmases and all the preachers for the last 2,000 years who've been telling the same story, how am I going to be able to tell you something new about it? And then I realized, that's ridiculous. (laughs) Jesus doesn't need my help. Like, he's not waiting for me. Uh, to come up with some new creative twist on the Christmas story, he can take care of himself. You know, that, think about it, that, that God, the creator of all things, the creator of the universe, would come to earth in the form of a baby, all right, completely dependent on mortal humans to raise him and feed him and clothe him and care for him and teach him so that he might become the savior of the world. I can't add anything to that. But, but I don't need to add anything to that because that is a story that is truly epic. In fact, if you attend Carmel on a regular basis, you may have heard Cameron a couple of weeks ago. Cameron's our worship leader here. You may have heard him talk about that word, epic. You know, we use that word, epic. I wanted, I wanted to name our Christmas series, instead of A Light Has Dawn, when we first started planning this, I wanted to name this series, Epic. And the pushback I got was, that word is so overused, and I said, exactly, you know, because like the movie you went to last week was epic, right? <laughs> or the, the run, if you were a runner, the run you went on was epic. Or, you know, that Taco Bell experience was epic. I, you've never had an epic Taco Bell experience. If you have, I don't want to hear about it. All right, don't tell me about it. <laughs> but that word's so overused. But think about it. If there was ever a story that was epic, isn't this the story? I mean, the creator of all things, folding his power and presence into the form of an infant being born of a virgin, leaving a perfect heaven to come live in a broken earth, being completely dependent on other people for all of his sustenance, for his very survival, becoming a light in a dark or dark world. Well, if ever a story was epic, don't you agree that that story is epic? But then I remembered, you know, there are two sides to the Christmas story, just as there are two sides to every Christmas celebration that we celebrate. I mean, think about it. If you think back to when you were a kid, especially adults or kids, you can think about this too. Think about your best Christmas experience. Think about what it was like for you. You know, as a dad now, I watch my, my two girls. They're 12 and 11, and they're the perfect age for Christmas. And I see them um, handling the presents under the tree and asking what they, were, what they are, and can I open a present? And they're shaking them. They're not supposed to shake them, but they shake them from time to time, or they will uh, smell the gifts. Uh, my daughter, Audrey told me that she knew what one of Gracie's presents was because she could smell it. I'm like, really? Did I do that as a kid? Think about, you know, not being able to sleep the night before and what that was like. Like you wake up at 1.30 in the morning. You think it's, okay, it's going to be morning. It's going to be morning. It's going to be morning. You wake up, it's like 1.30 and you're like, oh no, this night's never going to... You do that now as an adult and you're like, oh, hallelujah, praise Jesus, right? I get another five hours to sleep. But you do that as a kid and you're like, this night is never going to end. And then you're asking yourself all night, what will I get? What will I get? Will I get that thing I asked for? Will it be great? Or am I going to get a bunch of socks and underwear? I'm going to have to wade through that, right, to get to the really great stuff. You know, my favorite Christmas ever was when I was 11 years old. And it was the Christmas that my dad told me, uh, you were not going to get any gifts this year. He, he said, my, my uh, two sisters and I grew up with my dad. We, my dad raised us. And um, he said, instead of getting gifts this year, what we're going to do is we're going to take a family trip to California. 
And so um, my two sisters and, and my dad and I, uh, on the first day of Christmas break, we hopped on a plane and we flew out to San Diego. My Aunt Rita uh, lived in San Diego, still does. And uh, he had this great trip plan where we went to the San Diego Zoo and we went to Universal Studios. And then on Christmas morning, we woke up and we had about two gifts under the tree at my aunt's house. And then my dad said, your really big gift is today we're going to Disneyland. I'm like, oh. That is so awesome. And so we drove the two hours up to Disneyland because uh, it's in near L.A. And we get up there, and it's 10 in the morning. The park is just opening, and there's nobody there. It's almost empty. And so for the first four or five hours, we've got Disneyland to ourselves as kids. I mean, is that a dream Christmas gift right there? And about 3 o'clock, it started to get a little more crowded. But until then, you're like getting off Space Mountain and getting right back in line and going on it again. And it was really incredible. And then New Year's Eve, we flew home. And I got to our home a little bit late, uh, opened the door, and right there under the Christmas tree, there was one gift that was wrapped to all three of us. And uh, we opened it up, and it was an Atari 2600 game system. (laughs) Now, I have to tell you, I'm going to date myself a little bit, but this was not given ironically, all right? (laughs) This was the actual Atari 2600 game system that was the cool thing to have when I was a kid. That's how old I was. When I was 11, that's, that's when it was. And so that was my best Christmas ever. But now, as a parent, I have a completely different perspective on Christmas. Like, I'm excited for my kids to see the gifts that I got them, that I've been planning for them. Some of them I bought two months ago. And I have resisted the temptation to give them to them early, like I know some of you have done. You cheated, and you bought gifts, and you just couldn't wait. And so some of you, tomorrow morning, your kids are going to be disappointed because they already have everything that you've given them. But I have hidden them away and wrapped them, and I don't think they've seen them. Maybe they have. But tomorrow morning is the first time that they get to see this gift that I've been planning for them for months. Because truly, aren't the best Christmas gifts the ones that have a lot of thought put into them? Aren't they the ones that you've been planning for and thinking about? And, you know, guys, if you want to give a truly great gift this Christmas, if this is your plan for Christmas, to stop at Walgreens on the way home and get something for your honey, that's not going to go well for you. I'll just tell you right now, that is not a well-planned gift. Um, So, side note, my daughter, Gracie, and I were at Walgreens uh, last week. We were picking at, we were picking out Christmas lights for her sweater that she wanted to wear to school for Ugly Sweater Day and uh, in the Christmas aisle. And we're looking at the Christmas lights, and this lady comes around the corner, and she's looking for something frantically. If you follow me on Twitter, you may have already seen this story. But she comes around the corner and goes, oh, no. Where are they? Where are they? She's looking up and down the aisles, and her husband is apparently alarmed by what she's saying. And he comes around the corner. Hun, what's wrong? She goes, I can't find them. I think they must be out. And then finally she goes, oh, there they are. And she reaches on the shelf, and she pulls off a Chia Pet. Like somebody in her life really desperately wanted a Chia Pet. Now, if the, unless there's someone in your family that is into eating Chia seeds, which that's a thing, all right? So that could be true. Or what they really need to complete their home decor is a statue with hair. Unless that's you, that's not going to be a great gift. The best gifts take time and planning and thoughtfulness to get them exactly right. And then I realized that the same is true with the gift of Jesus that God gave us. You know, that, that just to give you one example of that, I think about, you know from the story that there were wise men, right, that came from the east uh, to see this baby, Jesus, that was born. And at home, if you have a manger scene, the wise men may be at the manger scene. That's probably not accurate. Your, your manger scene's still cute, okay? But most likely, Bible scholars tell us that it took as much as two years 
uh, for the wise men to reach Jesus. We know this because they met him in Jerusalem, not in Bethlehem, if you read the scripture. And they followed the star that Matthew 2 tells us was, was in the sky at the time Jesus was born. So the star goes up, the wise men see the star, they go to find Jesus. By the time they find him, he's in Jerusalem, probably as much as two years later. We don't know that there are three wise men. We know that they brought three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, right? Three gifts that were very valuable. But they got there just about as the time that the angel appeared to Joseph and told him that his family was in danger. You know, if you know this part of the story, what happened was Herod the Great, who was the king uh, over Israel at the time, um, had decided he didn't want any competition from this other king that he heard had been born. And so he, said, he issued a decree that all baby boys under the age of two years old should be killed, and they were out to get Jesus. And the angel appeared to Joseph and told him, you guys got to go to Egypt to get away from Herod, right? And so here's Joseph and Mary, these two kids we talked about, probably in their teens, maybe uh, as young as 12, probably maybe 14 by this time, maybe as old as 16 or 18, right? These two kids, um, probably not wealthy. From, they're from the little town of Nazareth. Uh, Joseph has a job. If he's going to go to Egypt, he's going to leave his job. How could they possibly afford to run away like that? Well, could it be that God, two years earlier, planned to send the star up to guide the wise men with these gifts to get to Jesus just at the time that his family would need these gifts to provide sustenance for them while they move to a foreign land. Isn't it amazing how God plans these gifts in advance? But I'm going to bring my helpers back up here and they're going to show you that God didn't plan his gift weeks or months in advance or even two years in advance. It was generations in advance. It was hundreds of years in advance or maybe longer. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands but my love will never be taken away from him. That was written 28 generations, hundreds of years before Jesus was born. So when the set time had fully come. So in other words, God planned this gift for a long time. He's a good dad. You know, he planned this gift. It was bought and wrapped and sitting on the top shelf of his closet. Don't look there, kids, okay? He had this gift waiting in his back pocket, just waiting for the right time. And then still 700 years before that first Christmas day in Bethlehem, God was planning this. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. So this precious son sent into the world from heaven who lived a perfect life uh, without any sin, had the sin of the world laid upon him. Excuse me. Had the sin of the world laid upon him. See, the manger is meaningless without the cross. You know, if, if Jesus didn't come and live a perfect life, a life that we could never live, and die a gruesome death, a death that we deserve, take the punishment for us, then the story of his birth is a nice story. 
that could just as well be relegated to legend. The birth offers nothing without the death. But his birth does mean something. It is something. The birth of Jesus is such a big deal. It literally changed time. Do you understand that? That now 2,000 years later, when we look back at the events around the life of Jesus, everything that happened before that is called one thing, BC, right? Before Christ. And everything that happened after that moment is called AD, Anno Domini, in the year of our Lord. And even in the hallowed halls of higher education, where they've attempted to change these terms and be CE for current era and BCE for before the current era, the reason that we divide time into two pieces is exactly the same because at ground zero is when God decided to send his one and only son to rescue the earth and all the people who inhabit it because Jesus the baby is awesome, incredible, and life-changing. He, he bisects time because he became Jesus the man who became Jesus the Savior. And so what we celebrate, those of us who are followers of Christ, what we celebrate at Christmas is not a season of gifts. It's not a season of feasts and food and family and fun, although all that stuff is great. And I did that today, and some of you did, and I know many more of you will do it tomorrow. But it's not the point. What we celebrate is a heavenly father who loved you so much that sometime in eternity past, he planned to send a rescuer, and not just a person, not just an angel, but his one and only son to earth to be a light into the darkness, to live a perfect life that we could never live, and to die the death that you and I deserve, to take our punishment for us, and then to be raised from the dead so that we could live a life unblemished in the eyes of God, so that we could become children of God. I think this uh, verse from Hebrews 10 maybe says it best. Uh, it says, therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, so this is Jesus speaking, sacrifice an offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me with burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. See, before Jesus came, the only way to get right with God uh, was when people messed up, they had to sacrifice something. Sometimes it was as little as some, some grain or a loaf of bread, but often it was an animal. Usually there was blood involved in that sacrifice, that blood was required to pay for that sin. But when Jesus came, all of that changed. So verse 7, then I said, Jesus said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. So first he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings, you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. So God had this plan in place, but what you're going to see in verse 10 is that that wasn't his plan all along. That his plan all along was that, uh, and then he said, here I am, I've come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. And, and so all that stuff that they used to do, it tells us that God had another plan all along, that Jesus was going to come to make us holy. And that's the reason we celebrate at Christmas. So, so we're thinking about this, little baby lying in a manger somewhere in Bethlehem on that silent night, the, the gift we received that very first Christmas. From God's perspective, he had a plan that was formed long ago in eternity past to take the broken relationship between God and man and make it whole again, to, to make a pathway for people to find their way back to God, to use the birth of this one son, this one child, to reconcile all people back to himself for anyone who would accept the, that this baby who grew into a boy, who grew into a man, that he was truly the son of God, the Messiah, the savior of the world. 
I love how C.S. Lewis, author C.S. Lewis puts it. He says, the son of God became a man so that men might become sons of God. And when you look at it that way, not from our perspective, but as the receivers of this awesome gift, but from the vantage point of the heavenly father who saw you and knew you and loved you before you were born. Well, that story is truly epic. And what better gift could you give yourself this Christmas than the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ? What, what could possibly make your Christmas brighter than the light of Jesus that we celebrate every December 25th? I mean, if you've never accepted that gift, if you don't have the light of Jesus in your life, I'm going to give you a chance to do that in just a minute. But no matter if you've done that before or not, if, if you center your Christmas holiday around Jesus, then your story, your Christmas could be truly epic. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful um, <laughs> that you did that. God, that you planned sometime, a long time ago, to send your one and only son to die for me because I wasn't up to your standards, that I couldn't live my life in a perfect way. And Lord, you knew that and you went ahead and paid the price for it. What, a, what an amazing story. What an epic story of salvation. Father, those of us who know Christ and are in Christ, we celebrate that today and tomorrow and through this whole holiday season, we celebrate the fact that you sent Jesus for us. That, that the baby in the manger became the man on a cross, became the man raised from the tomb, became our Lord and Savior. And Lord, I know that there are people here that are visiting and maybe stumbled in here by accident tonight or uh, came with a friend and didn't know what to expect and um, that they don't have the light of Jesus in their life. And, and if you're here tonight and that's you, you can do that tonight. You can, you can ask him to come into your life tonight. All you have to do is just pray this prayer with me. Say, say God, I... I'm done fighting this battle on my own. I need you in my life. Lord, I want Jesus to be the center of my life, to be the Lord of my life. I admit I haven't done everything right. I've made mistakes. I've sinned. God, would you send your Holy Spirit into my life to lead me and guide me? I commit my life to you tonight. As we go... Lord, as we come into a time of worship through song, we just pray that these words would be pleasing to you, that we would sing what we mean and mean what we sing. And God, that uh, what you hear would be worthy of the gift that you've given us. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.